Well, hello. I'm Joe Honeyhockey, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters. Up to this point, I've only spoken of saints that lived their earthly lives across the pond, as it were. They were from Europe, Africa, or Asia, or the celestial plane of heaven, in the case of our angels. But I have yet to cover a western saint. Well, that changes today. So, I ask you, do you face pressure to live according to secular society? Then might I introduce you to St. Kateri Tekakwitha. Now, for the tune of introduction. Before diving into Kateri's story, let's first start off with some saintly facts. You should know that her feast day is July 14th, and she is the patron saint of ecologists and ecology, loss of parents, orphans, exiles, Native Americans, and people ridiculed for their piety. So with that, let's get on with her story and get to know her a little better. The story of St. Tekakwitha takes us to an area around central New York State, around the present-day hamlet of Ariesville. Around the year 1656, a Catholic woman of the Algonquin tribe and her husband, who was a Mohawk chief, had a little girl. Their names were Tagasquita and Kenaronqua, respectively, and their daughter was named Tekakwitha. I looked up the actual pronunciation, uh, which is... Oh, gosh... But that's uh, super difficult for me to say consistently. So, I am going to go back to the standard pronunciation. I also happened to learn that her name translates to one who bumps into things. Well, the reason she was given this name is because in 1661, when she was about four or five, smallpox struck the Mohawk people. This epidemic killed her parents and her younger brother, and the disease ended up leaving Tekakwitha uh, with a scarred face, and it really damaged her eyesight. So in the dim longhouses where they lived, she would constantly bump into things and knock things over. And so as she had been taken into the home of her aunt and uncle, her uncle is said to have been the one that gave her this name. So for the next several years, she grew up according to the customs of the Mohawk, becoming quite a skilled craftsman in the trades women took up, which was, you know, like uh, clothes making and weaving reeds into items such as baskets and stuff like that. Well, apparently it was the custom among the Mohawk people to begin thinking of marriage at around 13 years old, at least for women, and uh, that was when Tekakwitha began to experience pressure to marry, but she resisted that pressure. Well, it was around this time that Jesuit missionaries began to regularly visit. Well, as during these years there was much fighting, particularly uh, with the, the French colonials and the Mohawk. In 1666, Tekakwitha would have been about ten years old. The Mohawk were eventually bested by the French and forced into a peace treaty. Well, one of the stipulations of this treaty 
was that it required Jesuit missionaries to be accepted into their villages. Many of the Mohawk ended up hating the men uh, that they came to refer to as the Black Robes, but that did not stop the Jesuit missionaries from learning the native languages and evangelizing the people. The three missionaries that tended to her village were named Jacques Fremin, Jacques Bruya, and Jean Pierron. Tekequitha was forbidden from interacting with them for fear that she would convert, and for a couple years, this remained the case. However, in 1669, when she would have been about 13, warriors from the Mohican tribe attacked the village. Well, while under siege, Tekequitha assisted in helping the priests tend to the wounded. Namely, she helped Father Piron. Well, the Mohawk eventually fended off their attackers, and they even pursued them in a counterattack, uh, much to the dismay of Father Piron, who ended up pleading that, that the lives of these captured Mohicans be spared, uh, but these pleas kind of fell on deaf ears. Well, in these ways, Tekequitha witnessed the faith of Father Piron and uh, the other visiting priests. Further encouraging her in an indirect way was the conversion of others in her village, the people that came before her, and at this time, uh, this included even the chief of the village. Now, over the next few years, Tekequitha's family, namely her aunts, continued to pressure her into marriage punishing her, even, for her resistance with verbal abuse and taunts, and assigning her difficult work tasks. But she remained firm in her choice. Well, in, in 1674, when she was about 18 years old, a Jesuit priest named Father Jacques de Lamberville visited the village. As fate would have it, no one was around at that time because they were all working out in the fields, so they could not prevent Tekequitha from conversing with the good priest. Well, so she told him that she desired to know more, to be a Christian herself. Well, so he began to instruct her in catechesis. Two years later, on April 18th, 1676, which was that year's Easter Sunday, she was baptized into the Catholic Church. Well, upon entering the church, she took the name Catherine, named after Catherine of Siena. Well, Katiri is just the Mohawk translation of this name. Although, as I looked this up, apparently the actual Mohawk pronunciation is Gateli. I do not understand this language. So, again, I am going to use the more common phonetic pronunciation. Anyways, Katiri became even more ostracized now that she was a baptized Christian. The verbal harassment was such that Father Lamberville suggested that Katiri join the Christian community up north near Montreal, which was at a Jesuit mission, uh, which it was still in Mohawk territory, and it was, it was called Kanawake. In 1677, she made the journey, which was about 200 miles, and she was received into the community. It wasn't too major of a shock, though, because there were many uh, former members of her old village that had already moved up there. Well, this included a woman named Anastasia, who had been her mother's close friend. Well, so these clansmen, like Anastasia, were quick to teach Tekequitha more about Christianity and the practices that go along with being Christian. Well, also in this community were two priests who become very important. 
uh, in part because they both wrote biographies on Kateri after her death, which were then used in her subsequent uh, cause for canonization. Well, so their names were Father Claude Chauchetier and Pierre Cholinec. They were struck by her piety and did all that they could to instruct her in the faith. One such area was that of mortification. Kateri was known to be very eager and kind of extreme with her penances, which included things such as resting on a bed of thorns and uh, other such harmful things, uh, also like burning herself to unite her suffering with those uh, of past prisoners uh, from her old village. Father Chachatier apparently scolded her for not exercising moderation in these penances and instructed her and some of the other women, because this was a Mohawk tradition, this kind of extreme um, uh, mortification. So he he instructed them to not commit these things unless they received permission from him. And Kateri obeyed. Well, over the next two to three years... Kateri grew very close with the women of the community, and together they went on their faith journey and lifted each other up. Well, in the year 1680, she became very ill, and on April 17th of that year, which was Holy Wednesday, she died from her illnesses. Father Scholenek reported in his writings that shortly after her death, as he says it was a, a... a quarter of an hour, the smallpox scars on her face disappeared, and her skin became smooth, and her face radiated with beauty. Also, it was also reported that afterward, she appeared to her spiritual mother, Anastasia, her dear friend named Marie-Thérèse, and to Father Chachatier, who ended up having a chapel built near her grave. In the, the 1690s, both of these priests, Cholinec and uh, Chachotier, wrote their biographies, as I mentioned before, both of them absolutely certain that she was a saint. However, it wouldn't be until 1884 that her cause would be presented to the Vatican and accepted by Pope Leo XIII. Well, so she was beatified on June 22nd of 1980, by Pope St. John Paul II, and was canonized on February 18th of 2012 by Pope Benedict XVI, upon recognizing a second miracle attributed to her intercession. And with that, you have the story of St. Kateri Tekakwitha. So, what immediately struck me about Kateri's life was her dedication to mortification, With that, I mean, I I should also highlight her obedience as she listened to her spiritual director in this area. Well, mortification nowadays sounds so archaic, and it's difficult to really kind of consider what it means and to practice it today when the vast majority of us are steeped in comfort. This is from everything, from air conditioning and heating to cushioned seats to readily available food. I mean, how, how nutritious and good that food is for you, that, that could be a different conversation. But the point is, it's there. Well, these things aren't bad, but they can distract us from our spiritual health. 
though one could argue that fast food is bad for your physical health too so it's well it's there but we don't need to whip ourselves or wear shirts made of hair but we can practice mortification by giving up a simple luxury heck we're already practicing that since we're well into lent I gave up snacking between meals, and it's been way more difficult than expected. Which is good. (laughs) It's also really helped me understand the point behind mortification. You see, this practice isn't because we're called to be masochists or to hate our bodies. But rather, through this practice of denying ourselves of some physical comfort, we're given the opportunity to turn toward spiritual comfort. And there's much to be found on the topic of mortification by much smarter and wiser men and women than myself. But here's, here's a story to kind of illustrate how I've come to understand this. So the other day, I was in the midst of a three-hour drive on the highway. After, uh, about an hour in, I found myself becoming dangerously tired, to the point where I was really considering pulling off the road to take a nap. It was late afternoon, after a long day at work, at the end of a week where I didn't get much sleep. Also, I also began to consider stopping at the next gas station I saw, and getting a nice sugary snack and a drink to give me a kick. Well, that posed a problem. Though, because I, as I mentioned before... I gave up snacking for Lent. Well, this became a pretty major conversation with myself, as I didn't want to break my Lenten promise. Yet I was very concerned with my ability to stay awake, and felt sugar would really help me out. After praying about it there in the car, I did stop at the next gas station. I stretched, got some water and opted to wear my sunglasses, as I suspected the glare from the sun on the road was straining my eyes. Sure enough, that was all that I needed, and I made it safely to my destination. Well, in subsequent conversations I had concerning this dilemma, I've come to understand it as such. If I had gotten myself sugary snacks at the time, it would not have been sinful as it would have been in an ordinary situation. The reason for this lies in the intention. The only reason I considered the option was on behalf of my safety in driving, rather than simply wanting something to snack on. Thankfully, I managed to think of other ways to wake myself up, Uh, but this situation did get me to realize the power and purpose of mortification. Heck, even... The last couple weeks, Sunday readings, have kind of been on the topic of mortification, or at least the the importance of understanding that our bodies can become God to us. And so, by denying ourselves what might typically be a a sort of mindless craving, a, a purely instinctual appetite, we force ourselves to consider our intentions behind it. When we get ourselves out of a mindless activity, we enter into deeper encounter with God's creation. We appreciate the comforts our lives offer us. 
Mortification properly orients our thanksgiving. That is the spirit of penance. That is the spirit of Lent. So, Saint Kateri Tekakwitha, be with us during this holy season. So to wrap things up, here's a prayer I found to Saint Tekakwitha. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Saint Kateri Tekakwitha, our elder sister in the Lord, discreetly you watch over us. May your love for Jesus and Mary inspire in us words and deeds of friendship, of forgiveness, and of reconciliation. Pray that God will give us the courage, the boldness, and the strength to build a world of justice and peace among ourselves and among all nations. Help us, as you did, to encounter the Creator God present in the very depths of nature, and so become witnesses of life. With you we praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That does it for this episode. Keep strong in the faith, and maybe one day somebody just might tell your story. See you next time. Now, for the tune of Outroduction. Who had been her mother's closed friend. Tequaquica. Tequaquica. Tequaquiqua. Oh gosh. Let's continue on with North American figures. Though, I'm thinking that this time I'm not going to speak of a canonized saint. Gotta switch it up a little bit here. So tune in next time and learn about a servant of God. See ya.